Good morning, everybody. Let me start it down. <laughs> well, today's going to be a little different. <laughs> what a shock, right? But today's going to be different for a different reason, though. So there you go. You know how I've shared so many times how I might think of something, prepare something, and then the Lord just changes it when I get up here or whatever. Well, and, and usually, you know, the Lord doesn't allow me to have any notes or anything else, so he just, he just pours through me. This week was different. And I wondered if he was going to tease me through it and put all these notes together and just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to have you speak on something different. But... But as I'm standing here right now, the plan is to move forward with what I've thought all week. And, and I actually have all kinds of notes. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what the Lord does in this. But it has been, and really this is the culmination of about three weeks in what the Lord's doing. Probably once, at least once a year, maybe twice a year, but usually once a year, I'll get into the book of Revelation and I'll get in there uh, with, with quite a bit of depth. And um, I try and do it at least once a year because as things have been happening so fast here at Ignition, each time I go through it, it's like, oh, wow, now I understand what that means. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I get this now. I didn't get this three years ago, but I get this now, Lord. Thank you. And so I'll, I'll go through. And this time was no different. And I, I dove in the last couple of weeks. And the Lord began to show me, show me things that have no bearing on what we're going to talk about this morning. But just, just uh, uh, he, he showed me a lot of, of the application of certain symbolism and stuff like that. But, but what did hit me, we are going to talk about this morning. And I'm going to begin by saying this. As a Christian, okay, we only have a couple in here that I know of. You can tell me if there's any more, but a couple in here that are Jewish, right? We, we have a family that's Jewish. And none others. Am I correct in that? Okay. Now, here's the problem. If you don't understand the Word of God, and I'm talking about all those who are not, if you don't understand the word of God from the perspective of a Jew, then you are missing layers of the word of God that you could otherwise understand. And, and so it's, it's not a matter of going to school and understanding, you know, the Jewish thought process. But it is a matter of understanding, especially what the Old Testament Jew would believe. Because it has application to us today. And what he laid, he just, boy, just took a two by four and thwack right across the head this week as, as I began to understand some of these things because, see, they apply to us right here, right now. So you have to understand the Word of God, even, is written, five sixths of it is written from the perspective of the Jewish mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? Certainly the whole entire Old Testament, obviously. But much of the New Testament is written from the perspective of the Jewish mind. All the Gospels. All of, well, the first chapter, 
really all of Revelation except for chapters 2 and 3. You've got many other books, books of Hebrews, portions of the book of Romans, all from this same perspective. So in that perspective, we can understand something very, very important. Just as Israel was required to know the times, we're required to know the times. Right? We're required to understand what's going on around us, not just have our head in the sand and say, Lord, I'm just waiting for you to come. Stick my head in the sand. Come, Lord, quickly, because this life's really tough. I need you to come. I used to think of it when I was younger, think of that with, man, God, if you could come before my next mortgage, that'd be awesome. <laughs> right? Or if you could cut even, even further back, if you could come before midterms, that would be great. You know, before I have this big thing I have to do, God, that would be awesome. But in reality, we're to take our heads out of the sand, understand the times in which we live, because we have a calling in them. We have a reason for where we are right now. I want to share with you a thought process. Okay, now, this is not, this is Greg's thought process, alright? The Bible does not show either way the truth of this. Alright? But when I tell it to you, it's gonna make sense to you. I, I think in, in indirect reference, it can be proven all throughout the Word of God. And, and for those, you know, scientists who believe that man has been around for billions of years, well, let me apologize right up front. But he is not. The Jewish calendar, we're coming up to the new year, right? The Jewish calendar, it's September, I think, 29th, is it? September 29th begins the new Jewish year, 5780. Okay, that is the new Jewish year of all the years that man has been on the earth from Adam, from the day Adam was created to now, right? 5780. I want to throw out there a thought process, and then, and then we're going to go off of that a little bit. I'm one of these guys who believes that God does, much of what he does is in a pattern. In fact, the, if, if you want to really understand prophecy in the Bible, you have to understand it's not a something that is to be prophesied and then fulfilled, because again, through the Jewish mind, that's a Greek mind, through a Jewish mind, a prophecy is merely a pattern. A prophecy is something that ends up being happening over and over again, sometimes in different ways, right? And, and I'll give you one example of that, is, is that the Messiah will come, and he did come, he will come again, and he will conquer the first time he conquered sin, the second time he will conquer the world. He will conquer earth in a physical way. But to the Jewish mind, it is about pattern. Okay? One of God's patterns, his first pattern, if you will, was the number seven. Right? How many days of creation? Right, six, really, and then he rested. So he counted that rest day as just as important, if not more important, because it was set aside. So seven days. The number seven was established as a pattern of completeness. That's really what it means. 
is to be complete in what he's doing. Okay, so I have this theory, and I, I'm certainly not the only you know, crazy guy out there, but, but I have this, this theory that the time of mankind, the time of humankind on this earth will be the same. It will magnify that same pattern that God used from the very beginning, and that is 7,000 years. Okay? So go with me for a second on that. Let's just say that's true. I'm not here to prove that it is. I mean, we'll know someday anyways, right? But go with me for a second. If you've got 7,000 years in the entire history of mankind, you take off that, the 5780, where we've done so far, right? You also, and I, I got some math notes written down here, so I don't forget them. You take off the millennial reign of Christ, Right, It says that Jesus, after he returns, he will reign for a thousand years. Okay, so you take the thousand years off that 7,000 as well, because that's future. We know the time frame of that. We know what it will be. We, there's another time coming up that we know what it is, and that's a seven-year tribulation period. In fact, probably the most prophesied about period in the Word of God Above anything else, that seven years. We know more about that seven years than any other time in history. And then I'm going to deduct another amount. I'm going to deduct what has been prophesied by many prophets now, and that's the 22 years left in the readying of the bride, whatever that means. Okay? Lord said, 24 years. He had told me personally, which I said, and, and I, I think I shared it last week, where the Lord said, we will have Donald Trump for eight years. We'll have Mike Pence for eight years. We'll have Nikki Haley for another eight years. Okay, now, is this in the word of God? No. This is the prophecy of the time. So I'm going to deduct that as well, the 22 years that we have left in that. That leaves 191 years unaccounted for. And, and you'll understand when I get into this, you'll understand the numbers. That's not the reason I'm saying this. Now, out of that 191 years, you have a certain period of time that Satan is going to be allowed to deceive the nations after the thousand-year reign. He's not going to be able to come in, and after Christ has reigned for literally a thousand years... He's not going to be able to come in and day one just deceive the nations because he doesn't just deceive one. He deceives enough to surround, completely surround Jerusalem like it would be this global invasion. And then in a moment, in a moment, fire, down, fire comes down from heaven, consuming all of those that rose against Jesus. And it's over. At that point, then, then it goes into the great white throne judgment and, and other things. So you've got time for all that as well. And then time for Satan to deceive the nations. And then time between whenever the rapture is and the tribulation. There is some time in there. We don't know how much. But there is some time in there. Right? Because we do know in the word of God that the Antichrist will not be shown who it is until after the rapture. And yet he's the one that steps in and takes control of everything. 
Okay, so there's got to be, you can't just do that in half a day. There's got to be some time involved there. So in all of this, what it goes to show you is one thing. We are in a time of history unlike any other in the past. We are at a time of history where things are coming to a close for the church. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to go through something here that's actually very interesting. I'm just going to read. Let me just read because I want to make a couple comments first before we go back through it. We're going to begin in verse 24. And and Father, bless this time, Lord. Speak through me your words. You have placed this so heavy on my heart. Not for the purpose of intellectual knowledge, because there will be that here. But for the purpose of understanding your plan. Understanding even what you're doing right now. Understanding our part in it. And that we hold a place in your prophecy and in your plan. Father, speak your words through me only. None of my own. Father, I give you my lips. I give you my mouth. I give you my mind, my will. I give you every piece of me to do with what you will. Father, if you want to just change this all up on a dime, then do it. You have my heart, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 9, beginning with verse 24. Now, by the way, this is basically the angel Gabriel comes down. Daniel, it, let me give you a little backstory here. This is when Israel is in captivity. And, and it was prophesied, you know, Babylon would come in, destroy Israel, destroy the temple destroy everything, take them off to Babylon, get you know, and all that stuff. Daniel lived during that time. Daniel happened to pick up a scroll of Jeremiah. And and I believe it was Jeremiah. And he was reading and saw that 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 it would be seventy years that they would be in captivity. And this happened to be about three years prior to that. And so so he starts praying. And you know this story. He starts praying about what will happen, what is coming, what is going to come upon Israel. And he starts praying and and nothing's happening. So he fasts for that 21 days. And then finally, the angel Gabriel comes and said, yeah, I had to fight this dude to get here. Right? This principality to get here. But then he had this revelation for him. And he had quite a bit of revelation for him. That's where we we find ourselves in the midst of this. See, let me even go back to verse 23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, and you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city which is Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat. But in a troubled time. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, when you first begin to read this, there's something right away that you have to understand in understanding what's being said. And that's that term weeks. Okay, in the Hebrew mind, in the rabbinical mind, when it talks about weeks, it's talking about a week of years. Okay, this wasn't happening in a week. This was a week of years. It's, it's a way of saying something, you know, in the vernacular. Like, uh, if, if we make a statement of, say, I've lived for five and a half decades. Okay, you would know what that means, right? You would understand what that means. That's 55 years, right? Whereas to equate it the same with what they're saying. When they're saying 62 weeks or one week, they're saying a week of years. So this is seven years is what they're talking about. They're talking about a week of years. So understanding that, Let's go back through it again, because what I want to point out is a gap. And those of you who have studied Revelation, you're you're understanding where I'm going with this. But what the angel Gabriel is saying is you have, in, in the thought process of Israel, remember, fall back into the thought process of a Jewish mind. Okay, what he is saying is till the end, till the complete end. You have these 70 weeks. Let's go back to the beginning. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, which is Jerusalem, to what? To finish the transgression. To put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. Clearly, he is talking about the end. Because we know it is only in the end that sin will be abolished. Right? It's only, and and by the way, that's not the end when Jesus comes back. Don't, Don't mix up the millennial reign of Christ with eternity with Christ and the Father. Don't mix the two up because they're very different. There will be sin in the thousand year reign of Christ. There will be humans that are alive. There will be humans that are born. There will be no death. Except for death that is decreed. Okay? Except for death that is taken. There will be sin. If there wasn't, Christ would not have to rule with an iron fist, which is what he says. We will rule with him. Those who, who are, are awarded that, 
that crown will also rule with him. And I don't want to get into go off into that. But understand that that when it's talking about to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, which what that means there is to accomplish the visions and that which came from the prophets. All the Old Testament prophecy, right, it will be accomplished. It will be. If you ever hear somebody say, no, the church took that spot of Israel, they're an absolute liar. They are a liar. They are dangerous. Now, if they're just confused, tell them the truth. Because, see, if... If the bride actually took over the place of Israel, then it would make God a liar right here. It would make God a liar. Because then it would be through the church that all that happened. And that's not the case. It says here, are decreed about your people and your holy city. So this is specific to the Jewish nation and specific to Jerusalem. To finalize everything. To seal both vision and prophet. To finalize every every prophecy made that was given by God. And to anoint a most holy place. There's these 70 weeks. Now verse 25 is a key here. To know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. To the coming of an anointed one, a prince... There shall be seven weeks. Let me explain part of this first and then I'll go on. Remember the time in which Daniel's living right now. The time in which he is living, Jerusalem's destroyed. Right? The temple is destroyed. It's gone. It's rubble. It's broken down. It's destroyed. They aren't even there. Right? They aren't even there. But this... this Prophecy says, from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Let's take the first part of that. In other words, what he's saying is, when it becomes a legal decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem, that's the first part, okay? To the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. That's the first part. And I don't know why Gabriel broke it into, or really the God, the Father, broke it into two sections, but he said, there shall be seven weeks, then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So really what he's saying there is there will be 69 weeks. 69 weeks of years. Everybody with me on that? 69 times 7, if you want to know the years, okay? So, the reason why, there there is conjecture as to why he broke up the 7 and the 62, because there's conjecture that it took 7 years to rebuild Jerusalem. And, And so once it was rebuilt, then it was 62 years that it stood. 62 years that the temple stood. And 62 years that Israel could be there. However... And remember, this is weeks of years. However, it says, with trouble. What's it, what's it say here? 
um, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Okay, so you have 69 weeks of years. Until what? Until the coming of an anointed one. See, that's the key here. That's what Israel missed. The coming of that anointed one. The coming of the Messiah. It was, it was largely taught in rabbinical circles back then that the Messiah would come before the destruction of the temple, which was also prophesied. This temple, literally, that's being rebuilt, was going to be destroyed again. And that the Messiah would come before that happens. Now, by the way, I'll jump ahead just in a remark. That happens again in AD 70. Rome destroys the temple. In fact, the only thing left standing of the temple and Jerusalem is the wailing wall that you see right now, the western wall. Okay, so 62 weeks plus the seven weeks until this anointed one comes. Okay, now, I want to understand one other thing, too, in figuring out what that is. And everybody can get out their calculators, okay, and have them ready. But you have to understand one other thing. Again, we're operating through a Jewish mind here, correct? See, back then, specifically, and things have been adjusted since, since 701 B.C., but they were not adjusted for the Word of God. Let me, let me explain that for a second. The number of days in a calendar year, in ours, are 365, and then we have a leap year every four years, right? Okay? Originally, it was 360. On just about every calendar, every... every uh, a nation's calendar up until about 701 B.C. It was 360 years. I mean, 360 days in a year. 12 30-month days. Or 30-day 30 30 months, sorry. 12 months, 30 days each month. 360 days per year. It's important to understand that because the Bible carried that on. It carried that on in a matter of prophecy. And you see that. I, I will have you turn to, to just the first one to prove this out. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 7. And we will go back to Daniel. But uh, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. Okay, this is the flood of Noah. And I, I just want to point this out because it's important to have your facts straight. In the 600, and, and be thinking about in the mind, and I'm sorry if this is just like teaching. I know, I know, whatever. If I get too deep, sorry, enjoy your nap. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were opened. That's when the flood hit. Right? On the 17th day of the second month. Go down to chapter 8 and verse 3. And the waters receded from the earth continually at the end of 150 days. So we know that the waters were upon the earth coming down 150 days. And they had abated. In the seventh month, 
on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Now, why do you think, what does it matter to us what day it was? What does it matter to us? It doesn't, right? But it does to God to show pattern. It does to God to show the way he calculates in the prophecies that we see later on. It's important to understand that. He, he also does that later. He does that in the book of Revelation, where it talks about half of the, you know, the great tribulation, which is really half the tribulation, three and a half years. He talks about it being 1260 days. So that hasn't happened yet. So clearly he didn't adopt the thought process of 365 days. Do you see what, you see what I'm saying here? It's important to understand this when you're reading prophecy and understanding prophecy. You have to understand the Jewish mind. You have to understand how it was, especially back then in Daniel's mind. So all throughout the Bible, it talks about the 30-day month. 12 months out of the year. Even the two witnesses, when they come, it says they will be here for half a time. the Three and a half years. And then it also says down to the day, 1260 days. So you know that that six months is 30 day months. Now let's go back to Daniel. And where it talks about here that from the going out to, of the word to restore, which is that declaration to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, is going to be this 69 weeks. Okay, by the way, 69 times 7 is what? 483. Okay. Now, for those, for that time, it said, from the going out of the word to restore. There were four declarations back at this time frame that had to do with Israel. Four declarations. Three of those declarations, and, and the first one, you're probably real familiar with this now because of Donald Trump, but the first one was made by Cyrus, where he said, yes, go go and rebuild the temple. Right? And then they went and they kind of had trouble and time dragged on and da-da-da, and Darius did the same thing. Go and rebuild the temple. Same thing happened, all this trouble. Then Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes gets in there, and he decrees the same thing. Go out and rebuild the temple. Three times they talk about going to rebuild the temple, and they build, they, they begin to build the temple. But what's it say here? From the going out of the word to restore and build what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. See, there's only one of those decrees that has to do with building Jerusalem. And it was the fourth decree of Artaxerxes, really the second one of his, but the fourth decree, decree total. And that was the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. This was the declaration to rebuild Jerusalem. And we'll begin here at verse 1. In the ninth, I'm, I'm sorry, in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him. <laughs> Not sure what that means. <laughs> Maybe he was a drunk. 
I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Right, this is Nehemiah. Then let's let's go down and, and and you know what? I'll just read it. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the the king's. Or now, I had not been sad in his presence. And what that means is before. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my why should not my face be fat, be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? I love this. He says, so I prayed to God of heaven. You could just imagine. Okay, Lord. This could mean life or death for him right now. Lord, fill my mouth. How many times have we done that? Lord, I'm about to step into something that I'm not sure what to do. Fill my mouth. Fill my mouth. This has to be you because if it's me, he'll see it's me and it won't mean anything. So he said, fill my mouth. And he said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in your eyes, or your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Now, I'm going to save you a lot of time researching when this happened. Okay? And, and you can research that on your own, but in historical records, we can see when this decree was made. This was not a small thing. This was a big thing. In fact, this was, Jerusalem was known as a rebel city back then. It was known as a rebel city that, that, in fact, even the first decree of going and rebuilding the temple, he was reminded, Darius was reminded, and so was Artaxerxes, that this is a rebel city. Like, they don't listen to people. If you've conquered them, they have a God that they think is above all others, and so they're just going to stand up to you if their God says to do it. <laughs> kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? So he knew that, that this was a rebel city already, and yet he said, no, go rebuild it. Because he had seen the decrees from others. So at that time, this is the month of Nisan, okay? And assuming that it's the first day of the month, it does not say the first day of the month. I'll give you that, okay? But we're going to assume for a second that it's the first day of the month, and you'll see why in a second. Okay, so what that is equivalent to, the first day of the month is March 14th, 445 B.C. Okay, now, Sir Robert Anderson, back about 125 years ago or so, he did a book on this that brought this out. He did all this research. He he was the the head of uh, Scotland Yard. Um, clearly a researcher, but he's the one who brought all this out and got back to this date, pulling all the historic records, got back to this date. Okay, now, I want you to take 483 years. Remember, we have our 483 already on our calculator, right? 
Okay, that's 483 years. Multiply that times 360 days. So you have a certain number of days per year, right? The 360. Multiply that times 483. What do you get? Is <laughs> nobody doing this with me? Guess what? Yeah, 173,880. That's how many days that you get. So if we have 69 weeks of years and we have a beginning date of when that went out, then we should be able to add that, right? And figure out what that means going back to, hold on here. Going back to uh, the book of Daniel, you don't need to turn there yet, but but where it says, from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one. A prince. So we're trying to see what, what is on that other end. You can imagine the people that, that received Daniel's prophecy right now. They, they should be able to know and pinpoint and know, okay, we've got 173,880 days until the coming Messiah. That was understood. That was not a roundabout there. Roundabout there. You know, kind of like what we get today and we tease when we hear the word soon. You know, soon could mean this afternoon. It could also mean apparently a few years. Okay, this is not what that is. This is specific. It's specific from that point of declaration. Right? From that point of declaration, they knew 173,880 days later, the coming of the Messiah would be. Okay, so, in that, and if you go forward, because obviously this is all history to us, if you go forward that many days, you come to April 6th, A.D. 32. April 6th, A.D. 32. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 19. And on this day is where we have April 6th, A.D. 32. Go down to verse 38. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem this one week before he was hung on a cross. This is when he walked in and he was put on a donkey. Remember, you all know that story, right? He's put on a donkey, an unbroke donkey, of all things. He goes in and they lay the palm branches, they lay their robes, everything's laid in front of them. They're all singing, shouting, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, that, that's the whole Easter thing that we, we all celebrate, right? Right? This happens to be 173,880 days after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. It was exact. It was to the exact moment. What's it say here in verse 38? It says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. By the way, you know, that's a song. They were singing this as he's coming in. That's from Psalm 118. We won't look it up now, but you could look it up later. It talks about the coming of the Messiah. 
And these songs are what they're going to sing and, and what is happening, you know, what to do when he comes back in, in again, Psalm 118. So, so when they started to do this, the Pharisees got really upset, right? The Pharisees said in verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't you understand what they're singing? Don't you understand that they're singing that you're the Messiah? And what was Jesus's reaction? Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. See, he was saying praise was going to be his. Why? Because he is the fulfillment of that 69th week. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He was the one coming to claim his bride. He was coming to claim and conquer death. To earn that right over death. Now why, why didn't they believe him? I'm going to suggest two things. Because they were so blinded to see the times. The very day of their visitation... They didn't recognize it. They didn't see it. Verse 41. And when he drew near. All right, hold on. Yeah, verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he, he, he's going in, you know, imagine he's on this donkey. They're laying all this stuff out. They're singing to him. And then the Pharisees. Do not recognize him for who he is. And when he drew closer to the city, he wept over it saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day, on this day, the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from you. Because you did not know this day, then they're hidden from you. Because you did not engage in what you should have known. A veil of deception is brought over your eyes. That you cannot see. That's what he's saying. For the days will come. Then he goes into a prophecy of verse 43. For the days will come. This is Jesus speaking. For the days will come. Upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave a stone upon another. See, what he prophesied there was the destruction of that temple. Not just the destruction of the temple, but the destruction of that city, Jerusalem. He said, oh, that you would have just believed me. Oh, if you would have just believed me, if you would have recognized, you were told, you were told for the very day that I would come, you were told, and you didn't expect it. This is your job. This is your job, people. You spend your life, every day of your life, expecting this Messiah to come, and then when the Messiah comes and you knew you had access to everything it would take to know the day that He would come, and then you knew Him not. You can imagine 
how Jesus' heart was broken. You can imagine how he felt. He, then he goes in and he gives that prophecy that it will be leveled by the way it was some 35 years later or 37 years later. Jerusalem was leveled. The temple was leveled by Rome. They lost everything. That was the last time that the temple stood. It is not, it's not been rebuilt since. It will be. It will be because there are four specifically and including Jesus that talk about a temple being erected during the time of the tribulation. So it will be rebuilt, but it hasn't been yet. So see, they had this opportunity. They knew 69 weeks of years, once that was up, it was going to be the Messiah. They could have chosen to, to be with them, but because they didn't, these things will happen. And he said, it's in, in the last part of verse 44, because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's why there's a veil over Israel right now. That's why there's a veil not understanding even who Jesus is. I want you to go back to Daniel. Remember it said 70 weeks, right? Well, we just dealt with 69. 69 weeks were to the coming of the Lord. But there's that 70th week. Now remember, in a Jewish mind, there's 70 weeks total. But clearly there's a gap between the 69th and the 70th. Because the 70, the 70th week is the tribulation. I, I want to get into something else, so I'm not going to go. If, if you want to talk about this, we'll go have coffee and talk about it. And I'll share, share all the details with you. But understand, the 70th, the 70th week of Daniel is the period in the Bible that has more spoken about it, more prophesied about it than any other thing in the any other single event in the Bible. And that is the seven-year tribulation period. Okay, It's a single week. It's the 70th week, which is seven years. In the Bible, it is also, in case it wasn't clear to people that it's seven years, the Bible also talks about a time, times, and dividing of time, which is a way of saying, and again, vernacular of saying three and a half years, right, which was half the tribulation. It also talked about the great tribulation being 1260 days. So he breaks it down in so many ways. We know the tribulation is seven years. That's the 70th week of Daniel. That has to do with Israel again. That has to do with Israel. Where's the church? The church is already gone. The church, as a ready bride, will be raptured and taken up to heaven to be with him. And then it goes into this seven-year period. Again, is for Israel. Why? What, what is it for Israel? It's what he said here. It says... Somewhere. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, and to seal both vision and prophet and anoint a most holy place. God's goal and finalized goal for Israel is that. It's not happened yet. 
we find ourselves in this gap between the 69th and the 70th week. And you say, well, that, that's convenient to throw something in there. Why, why aren't they contiguous? I don't know. Except that that is the pattern God uses throughout the Word of God. Right? There are, all throughout Revelation, there are patterns. If you, if you dive into Revelation, I know we did Revelation over the course of a couple of years with the, with the young people. If you dive into Revelation, you understand it goes in sevens, but between the sixth and seventh, there is always a gap. Right? There, there, there are uh, seven seals. He opens the first six seals. Boom, 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 boom. All right in a row. Then there's a gap. Then he opens the seventh. Then that opens up seven trumpets. And then you got six trumpets that open. Then you have a gap. Then he does the sixth, or the seventh trumpet. Then you have these seven bowls of wrath. Same thing. Six and a gap. And then the seventh. I don't know why he did that except for this one reason. That he kept the mystery of the church, as Paul called it, from the eyes of the Jewish people. Because Paul said, it is my joy, it is my excitement to be able to reveal to you something hidden in all history. And it's this idea of a bride. This idea of the church. That is the gap that we're in right now. We are in that gap. And the reason for that gap, we've talked this about this a million times, because Israel missed their day of visitation, they will see the favor that God places on the bride and see that He loves His bride and become jealous. In fact, let, let's go to Romans 11. Romans 11.11 11 says this. So I ask, did they, and this Paul talking about Israel versus the Gentiles and, and what was opened up for the Gentiles. So I ask, did they stubble? Uh, stubble. Did they stumble in order that they may fall? Talking about Israel. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. What's that last part there? So as to make Israel jealous. The whole reason for the church. The whole reason for the church is to understand what is offered to them and to embrace what is offered to them in this relationship so that favor can be poured out, so Israel can be made jealous, so that ready bride can be taken up and Israel can understand that they missed their day of visitation. Because it says in the Word of God that all they have to do is cry out, Accept him as a nation, not individually, as a nation. Accept Jesus Christ as Messiah and ask for him to come. And he will. So that veil will be on them until the bride is gone. But it is going, it's through that bride that Israel is made jealous. So why am I telling you all this? 
I want you to understand the precision of God. I want you to understand that He gives chance after chance after chance after chance and information, all the information needed to know who He is. To follow who He is. To make the decisions you need to, to say yes to Him. He did that precisely, precisely to Israel. And yet they missed that visitation day. He is doing that today to His bride. This is what hit me so heavy the last couple weeks. Are we going to miss our visitation time. Now, I'm not talking about Jesus coming back in the rapture. I'm not talking about that. That's not what I mean. What I mean is this information that He is giving us to recognize who He is, to recognize what He is doing, what He wants to do in each of our lives, what He wants to do in the bride, in readying of the bride. Are we going to recognize it? And I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. And many of these things. But it's important to understand this. Because every one of you knows somebody who is saved and deceived. And you probably know a whole bunch. We do. See, so the time of his visitation now, how how does he let us know that we're in that time frame? How did he let him know back then? Through his prophets. See, the reaction would be, well, you know, I look in the word of God and, and the word of God doesn't say anything about him, him, you know, building this relationship. You know, they could just argue that, that no, this was for Israel and now it's just a matter of us getting as many people saved as we can until he figures that's enough and then we get to go to heaven and be with him. And float around on clouds or whatever, whatever they think we're going to do. See, it's not that at all. If God is waiting, and, and I know that, that the Bible talks about the number of the Gentile being complete. And I know that there are, there are theologians that believe that there is a specific number of people that will accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And once that last one is... It says yes to the Lord, and then boom, he comes and gets them. I I feel a little differently than that. I don't think it has to do with specific number. Now, does he know how many are going to be saved? Sure he does. He knows the end from the beginning. But I believe it's more about those that will be in relationship with him. Because, see, outside of relationship, God gets nothing out of this deal. Nothing. Think about that. We get everything out of this deal. We get life. We get to not burn. Right? We get to not go to hell and not be in torment for eternity. That's what we get. But in addition to that, we get all the things that he promised us if we draw in close to him. All the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all these things, goodness, kindness. Everything we get in this life if we just believe in him. What's he get out of it? Give up his son? Put his son on a cross for somebody else's sin. Is that what he gets out of it? In order to just get a n- number of people that can come up here and just kind of populate heaven. 
You know, if he doesn't get a relationship out of this, it was a terrible deal for him. It really was. It really was. So he didn't do it just for you to be in heaven. He did it so you could know him. He did it so you could build relationship with him. So he could enjoy that relationship with you. See, that's the readying of the bride. That's when the bride is ready, when she has relationship with him. And I do believe that that number of the Gentile, when that number is complete, he will come. And that is a number that has relationship with him. That gives their yes and walks in their yes. Everything that God wants them to do, he just takes their feet and moves them. And they allow themselves to be moved. That's a ready bride. That's what he wants to do. I want you to turn to Hebrews 12. Now, since the resurrection of Christ, and he went down and he freed the captives, okay, that were that were in the bosom of Abraham, and, and since then, all who have gone on before to heaven, they're all in heaven, right? Them, and as well as all the angels and everything else in heaven, that's what this cloud of witnesses is that we're going to read in verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us do this. And he starts to go into a plan. A plan of what it means to be ready. A plan of what it means to give everything to Jesus Christ. Let us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith, because he did it first, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Understand the comparison there that Paul's talking about. There was something set in front of Jesus Christ. When he walked this earth, when he had to learn obedience, he had to learn faith, there was something set before him, That he knew he would have to walk through that would be difficult. Clearly. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus that he hung on the cross. It was something that he learned and understood was his father's will. Even though the night before he asked, God, if there be any other way, any other way, please take this from me. But yet not my will, but yours. Yours be done. So that's what was set before him, Paul's saying here. That was the vision of what was set before him. And what it would purchase is the very relationship that God wanted. That God intended from the, from the very beginning. The relationship he had with Adam and Eve before they sinned. Jesus is standing and he's seeing this thing in front of me that I must do purchases the relationship For anybody. So see, to him, there was no question. Did he want to do it? No, of course not. 
He asked if there be any other way. Do you think he was disappointed, really disappointed, when he went into Israel and they didn't recognize him as Messiah? You bet he was. You bet it crushed him. But do you understand that all those things that he did, he did to purchase your life to be in relationship with him and the Father? That's why he did it. So Paul's saying, recognize that was before him, and he did. He said, you need to see what is before you. See, he says, lay aside every weight, sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that what? Is set before us. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to know what's going to happen to you, like Jesus did. And maybe some of you do. And maybe at different times in your life, you will know things that you will walk into, things that you will step into. But what he's saying is, run with endurance the race that is set before you, just like Jesus did. Why? Because you are purchasing something when you do it. Just like Jesus did. See, Jesus purchased his side of the relationship. But that's just one side. That's just one side. You have to purchase your own side. He purchased your ability to have relationship. He, he, he purchased for you the salvation of your flesh, the salvation of your soul, to where you did not spend eternity in hell. That's what he purchased for you. And then he purchased on top of that an opportunity for you to have a relationship with him and the Father. But see, that part there is up to you. It is what Paul says here. Set aside every weight. Are the things weighing you down? Think about it. What weighs you down? What weighs you down from stepping forward in God's will that you know is His will? That you know you're supposed to do? What is weighing you down in that? It may be something physical. Maybe something spiritual, maybe both. The the spiritual usually then manifests in the physical. Well, what's holding me back? Well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of that. And when fear gets a hold, it manifests in the physical and I don't step where I'm supposed to step. And he's saying here, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You know, there are two types of sin, in my opinion. There's sin, there's sin that we know. That just, I mean, I mean, you know, come on. You know it's sin. You know in your heart. And, and by the way, that sin is going to be at the level of relationship you are with the Lord. Because what I used to think would not bother him in my walk with him now, I wouldn't think of doing. I just wouldn't think of it. Because I know that it, it puts a barrier between he and I. See, but those sins can be figured out pretty easily. Especially if they're black and white sin in the Bible, right? 
The sins that are a little harder are the sins that are cloaked in deception. The sins that are cloaked in our understanding of who God is. Well, God would never make me do that. You know, I, I, I know I, I once in my life I felt this compulsion to go to Africa, and, and boy, I shut that down quick. Because God would never make me do that. Right? Yeah, amen. That's right. God would never make me change my job because in this job I have whatever. God would never make me break up this relationship because he wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. You know what? No, God wants you to be obedient. God wants you to know him. The happiness comes after that. The happiness is a product of obedience. It's a product of relationship with him. That is the happiness. It's not what I decide to that, that's going to make me happy. And of course God's going to want me to be happy. So A plus B equals C. So yes, I'm going to keep this relationship. Or yes, I'm going to keep this, whatever it is. You know, those are the tougher things to understand. And I can tell you just in, in my own life's experience, for me, the things that were obvious were obvious. The things that were under deception took time. As I began to build relationship with me, he didn't, okay, now that you're building relationship with me, here, let me pull out this scroll and tell me all the crap that you got going on. He didn't say that. No, he said, you know what? Let's deal with this first one. Let's deal with number one. I know there's 800 of them, but let's just deal with number one first. Because you know what? If you deal with one number one, guess what? That's going to take out about 20 of them. And then he starts dealing with you in your heart with these things. In your, you, 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 I, and again, I can only speak for myself. And I'm like, Lord, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I did that. I didn't even realize I didn't even realize the control I was trying to take in my own life in this manner. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me for taking that control. And then we've learned in the courts, don't just stop there. Because when you've given authority to something, get rid of it. So in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood, I bind you and I cast you to the abyss in Jesus' name. And Father, teach me how to walk with you. Teach me how to walk with you to where I don't have to have this control. I don't feel the, the need or the necessity to, to have this tight grip. Right? What, what did it say here? To set aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to you. There's an intimacy with the things that hold us down. So as you build relationship with the Lord, he shows you those. And, and, okay, number one gets knocked off. That may be knocked off a few more, then get down. Number two, number three, knocking some of these down. Eventually, I mean, does it ever get to where that list is empty? No, we, we're sinful flesh. Because you get about halfway down, and this one may pop up again. And then you go, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I allowed that to pop up again. And you go and deal with it. The thing that I can promise you, though, 
that I can promise you is in relationship with Jesus Christ and relationship with the Father, as you seek it, He will show it. If your heart is to be in relationship with Him, guess what? He'll facilitate it. He'll facilitate it by showing you, yeah, let's, let's get rid of some of these things. And each time you get rid of one, you draw closer and you recognize that. Oh, man, if I, I understand what Paul meant when he said, man, if you could just have everything I have except for these chains, you'd understand. I feel the same way in my relationship now versus eight years ago. If I could show you the difference, and I don't mean the dis- difference externally in my life. Hopefully that shows. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the relationship I have with him. I'm talking about the intimacy I have with him. I'm talking about the clarity of voice that I have with him. It didn't just one day, boom, Greg, you get clarity of my voice. No, that was built. It was built with relationship. It was built with allowing God to go down that list of things that need to get out of the way so his clarity can be there. Why? Because there's deception. There's just as there was deception over Israel because they didn't see the time of their visitation. There's deception at work all over. When we deal with the courts, when we take somebody to the courts, we learn pretty quickly to, to demand deception to come first. Those first few times that we did it and deception would end up being near the end, it was like, oh my goodness, we're in court for hours. And then we realized it's because deception had a part of everything. Deception filters into our lives every way it can. Every way it can. Levels of deception. You ever meet somebody that, that they're just so clearly deceived because they, don't, they can't see truth right in front of them? See, that, that isn't the fact that, well, they have a different truth. Truth is truth. They have a different way to see it because they're seeing it through a veil. Right? So one of the first things you go after in your relationship is, Father, get rid of this deception over me. Father, I don't even know where I'm being deceived, but I'll tell you, let me tell you this, the best prayer you could pray when you get home, or the second or now, whenever. Best prayer you could pray is, Father, reveal deception. Reveal deception on me. You know my heart. I want depth of relationship with you. And deception is the one thing that keeps me from seeing the barriers. That's what keeps us from God are barriers. But yet they don't have to be there. Ever since Jesus died on the cross and that veil was torn from between the Holy of Holies and, and the rest of the tabernacle or the temple, it was, it was opened up. This idea of relationship was opened up. And what is there are the barriers we place there. He doesn't. They're barriers we place. So Father, just show me the, de- the deception in my heart, in my mind, in my life, to where I cannot see those barriers. I cannot see those things that keep me from that intimacy with you. 
And don't be fooled. If you think that, yeah, I've been a Christian a long time, I've got this relationship thing down, you're deceived. No such thing. There's no such thing as plateauing. There's no such thing as hitting the finality of relationship with God. It's an ebb and flow. Right? I don't know which one's up, ebb or flow, but, but hopefully it's more of this and less of this. You want your general tracking to be closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. I mean, honestly, the ultimate goal is that you're close enough to where God just said, you know, just come on. Just like, you know, just come on. You know, you, you don't need to be there anymore. Just, just come on. See, he wants relationship with us, and it's not this, this set level thing. It means that for as long as we have breath in our bodies, we go after him with everything that we are. That's what he wants. That, by the way, is ignition. That's the tip of the spirit has to be. It has to be. Why do you think we have so many people in here that give up everything for God? Why do you think God has put all those people in this one place? You ever think about that? You know, all these people that, that are, are willing to just do anything for God. Why, why are they all in one place? Why are they all in this church? You ever think about that? I have. Because, see, it would make sense if... If he, you know, we have 50 of us here or whatever, maybe, maybe he put them in 50 different churches so we could, we could have, you know, more exposure. But you know what? Sin will always prevail when God is not at work in relationship together. You see what I'm saying? You can have relationship with the Lord. It's, it's like you could take the first half of the commandments, love the Lord like thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And if you forget the next part, it, it's not two commandments. It's one command. It's one half of one command. If you take the second part off and loving each other, and you say, well, you know, I can deal with you. God can't deal with them. <laughs> so what he did is he took these people that had hearts after him put them together, and he said, learn how to live together. Learn how to love each other. Learn how to be iron sharpening iron, because guess what? It's hard. It's tough. Because you have to have relationship with him in order to do it. Right? That's the tip of the spear. Because from there... There is a power that he can do and, and he will do. Know the times of the, the signs of the times, guys. And I'm not saying go believe every prophecy that you hear. Prove out the prophecy just like they did in the word of God. Prove it out. But don't think that he is not going to share prophecy in this day and age. And tell his people what's coming. In fact, he said, I do nothing Unless I tell my prophets first. Doesn't mean believe every prophecy. Prove it out. But when it proves out, believe it. Trust it. Recognize the times that we're in. 
We are in the most incredible time in history outside of Jesus Christ giving his life. This is the reading of the bride. We're at the beginning. This is the line in the sand. That's what it is. The line in the sand is his time of visitation. Just like it was for Israel. It is for his bride now. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and praise you. And Lord, I just pray that you fill Alexa's mouth with anything that I have missed. Anything that she even shared this morning. I'm sure it was all applicable. But God, just speak. Speak in Jesus' name. Amen. And I was listening to the, when you got into Hebrews, the Lord was like, even with all the deep stuff, he was like, man, do you know how loved you are? This elaborate plan and everything that he has is such love. And I don't know about you, I'll just tell you real quick, if God is pressing in any way in your life, he's actually answering your own prayers. Um, I was... It was interesting, the, the cap that Shannon put on her prayer earlier in, during worship about how that when God is changing you and molding you, he doesn't see it as uh, a bunch of stuff, like Greg said, that he can't wait to weed out because it's just nasty and terrible. And, and, and I'm not talking about the holiness of God not recognizing sin, but he really sees it as a delight that when you finally get something, you're ready to receive what he's been longing to give you and one of the prayers that I prayed was oh man it's like one of those terrible ones like paying, praying for patience I, pr- I asked the Lord you know when I when I received the prophecy of where he was going to take me and I saw what you're going to you're going to do what with ignition you're going to do what with my life how is this possible? I need confidence. God, I need a thick skin. I need to be able to deal with this thick skin. Well, wow. <laughs> uh, I played volleyball for a short time in high school and in college. And um, one of the things that they, the drills that you go through in learning to play volleyball is, you know, when you're doing both your arms and you're learning how to how it to hit your skin, you go through over and over again the hits to develop a desensitizing of that very tender part of your skin. It is a, a drill that toughens that part of your skin. And it is miserable. You just go home every day from practice and you feel like your, your forearms are in, on fire. And you're like, when is this ever going to end? You know, like, is it ever going to get tough? You know, you almost dread going back into practice the next day with these hits. Any volleyball people in here? You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a painful process, but it's the very thing that you need to play the game well. Because you cannot be in the game and conquer being distracted by the pain in your forearms. Or get halfway through and just be like, yeah, I'm out. The stinging, I just, I can't bear it anymore. It has to be toughened. So that you can just deal. And the pressing in our lives, God just, he is bringing a thickening of our skin, my skin, um, all of us. Whether you prayed that prayer or not, he's toughening us, us up. But he really showed me that to be like, look, I need you. In order for you to have the confidence that you desire, There has you have to go through some things. And as I go through these things, there is great reward 
I will tell you, even though last week was a real challenge for me in many, many areas, nothing, nothing, nothing but absolute awesome goodness came from it. Every day was good. And I'll tell you what, it culminated yesterday. I, I felt like the Holy Spirit fell on just me. There was the most glorious encounter I had with the Lord. And there were certain things he couldn't reveal, certain things he couldn't even have me bear until I was ready. So sometimes when we see, we sometimes even frame things that we go through as mess-ups and trip-ups. But God sometimes says, look, I allow that because what I want to release to you is so weighty, you just would not know what to do with it if you weren't ready for it. So everything is a loving readiness of his purpose and in, in, in his process for us uh, for his purposes and so really trust that that there is great reward yes there's cost and there's sacrifice but those things that so easily beset us um, in this world when they're off of us we can receive something new and I know um, you know I was thinking about the big dumpster that Beth and Corey were going through that's been you know they're weeding through their things to lighten their load humanly to go to Nigeria. And it's, it's a real battle to, to begin to let go of things to make room for the new. And most of us are not going through that exact experience. Um, but some of us honestly need to, whether we're leaving this country in a calling or not. Yeah. It's just time. I know the Lord's been dealing with me on that. And I'm talking even stuff materially that I'm holding on to. You know, there is, there is a weight that encumbers us literally with stuff that we hold on to that in and of itself is good but God's like no that season's done I that was that was for this season you know if you've ever if you've ever donated clothes when when you first got them they were good for that season I tell you what I really missed the shoulder pads from the early 1990s you know I loved how it framed my my you know it's just it's not in right now if you got those big old shoulder pads yeah ladies I'm talking to ladies but that's what the Lord does there are seasons and we've got to let go of it this is that they're going through an extreme case but are we willing to let go of what encumbers us because man God's plan it's so that was a heavy instruction from the Lord but it just simply put it just showed me how loved I am how important and you how important we are in his plan for this time for this day um, it's just he just redeems and restores. So if you're getting if you're getting beat up or if you feel like you're going through things, um, remember that God is in this room. I, I can't speak for everybody online, but in this room, I know what you've prayed. If you have even ever just prayed, I want your will, then expect that he will he will answer your prayer. And what that means you go through to get his will to be done in your life is going to be hard, but it'll be good. It'll bring about the strength of your forearms when the ball comes to you uh, and you're hitting it for the hundredth time to win the game and endure and run the race with endurance. So that's such a great word. And for all that study that you need to do on end times, listen to it again because it's just a lot. If you didn't get a chance to follow through with everything. Um, I, um, I want 